Good morning, New Life. My name is Chris. We haven't met yet. One of the pastors here. We are now in week three of our kind of fall launch series called Fight, Overcoming Conflict God's Way. And so far we've looked at um, everything that has gone wrong in our world and how everything ultimately is broken because of sin, including our relationship with God and also our relationships with one another. And last week we talked about the fact that there's actually a cure to this brokenness that we experience in this world. And his name is Jesus. He is the cure to all of that brokenness, that what was broken ultimately in the garden beginning in chapter three, Jesus is now restoring, beginning with our relationship with God the Father. See, now we can actually know and be known by the God of this universe, which is the most incredible, exciting thing we can experience in life with this idea that I can actually know the God of this universe. Like I can, I can actually go to him and I can read these ancient words that were inspired by his spirit and he breathes life into my soul and I can pray back to him and he actually, he bends his ear to me and he hears me and he works and he acts on my behalf. I have peace now with my creator. There is nothing more important in your life than that relationship. And so let me just encourage you, if you are here this morning and you don't have that, let's chat. Let's have a talk, send me a message uh, this week, I'll be up here after the service is over, as will some other prayer partners, and we would love to talk to you about what it would look like for you to begin to have this dynamic type of relationship with your creator through his son, Jesus. It is truly life-changing. And here's the incredible thing about what Jesus accomplished on the cross is he not only reversed the curse with our vertical relationship with God the Father, that should also translate into our horizontal relationships with one another. You know, resolving conflict, personal conflict, relational conflict, is one of the most important life skills to master if you want a happy life. You, you need to know how to resolve conflict at work and at school, and in your marriage, and with your friends, and with your parents, or your kids, or that neighbor that keeps mowing into your yard to make his yard look bigger and your yard look smaller, uh, hypothetically speaking. I don't know that anybody that's actually happened to, but conflict is all around us, and most of us spend our lives running from conflict and if we're not careful, we can kind of just end up as jaded, angry, miserable people, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, conflict is something that God can actually use for the good to make us more like him and to give us healthier relationships, but most of us are scared to death of it, and so we actually miss out on some pretty amazing things that God has for us, which is a real shame. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're going to lay out and unpack some biblical principles that will help you overcome conflict in your life, have healthier relationships, and ultimately just live a happier life. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, open it up, turn it on, and head for James chapter four. James, a small little book in your New Testament. We are gonna move around just a bit today 
but I think James 4 is a good jump off point for us because for most of us, I think our natural inclination when we experience personal conflict with another person is to get defensive and oftentimes even to point fingers at the other person that we are in conflict with. But James, the author of this little letter, the half-brother of Jesus, is going to tell us that what actually causes conflict in our lives, in our relationships, may not be what you think it is. So James chapter four, beginning in verse one, going halfway through verse two, this is what James says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, and so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Now, this is a fascinating little passage that's dripping with wisdom that can drastically improve our lives and relationships if we will listen and apply these truths to our lives. Now, the first thing that strikes me about what James says here is that James is writing to the early church. He's writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who have been scattered about now because of persecution. And I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to um, kind of romanticize the early church because I think of them as like, man, they're the ones that really flipped the world on its head for Jesus. We know that historically by 351 AD, over half of the pagan Roman empire professed Jesus as king Right, So the, these, the, these early believers, this early church was stunningly effective, right? Now for me at times, I can kind of idolize them and kind of think, man, I wish we were more like them. I, they just se- seemed like they never had any problems. They were just so effective, like in their neighborhoods and their city and the world. I just wish that we were more like them. But James here gives us a really stark reminder that even the healthiest of churches, even the most effective of churches struggle at times with conflict. Now, we're going to dig into that more next week in the church context, but notice what James says. He says, why do you have fights, plural? Why do you have quarrels, plural? These guys experienced relational conflict, but they obviously overcame it, and they were insanely effective at winning their culture to Jesus, I think, at least in part because they learned how to apply these biblical truths to conflict. Now, James doesn't tell us exactly what the fights and the quarrels were all about. He doesn't tell us precisely because I think whatever the circumstances were, were not the root cause of the conflicts and the fights. And so I think James is turning our attention away from the circumstances of the fights to the actual source of the conflict. Now look back at what James just said in verse one. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So James, James turns it around and he, sa- he, he says, the source of the conflict in life in an ultimate sense is you, it is within you, it is your sin nature. So James says, why, why do you fight? It's, it's because you don't get what you want, you dirty little sinners. So what he, don't look for that in the text, I made that last part up, but James, James is saying, it's, it's you. Like it, it, this is not complicated, but James is saying this is very serious because ultimately sin not only breaks our 
relationships with one another, but ultimately it can break our intimacy with God as well. Now, for many of us, we, we try to minimize our, our conflict with goofy explanations. And so you have probably heard some of these, maybe you've used some of these. And so we'll say things like, oh, I don't know, man, I guess our, our personalities just don't really mesh well together you know, with someone that you're in conflict about, just to kind of explain the reason that there's this conflict. Or, man, we're just, we're, we're wired differently. No, you're just a pride-filled, selfish sinner. That's what's going on, right? What, it, what is the most common reason cited for divorce in the United States? You know what it is? Irreconcilable differences. In other words, it's not my fault. It's just that you're so different than me, Right? As, uh, as one pastor and author named Gary Thomas said, couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Pastor C.J. Mahaney brilliantly says this, conflict doesn't create sin, conflict reveals sin. Con- conflict doesn't create, conflict simply begins to shine a light in the dark corners of our heart and exposes what is actually already there. Conflict reveals that oftentimes we are, we are self-centered people. We are, we are full of pride. We have this disturbing desire to be right all the time. And so James, the little brother of Jesus, wants us to know that we must take relational conflict seriously by realizing that the root cause lies within us. It's not your spouse, it's not your friend, it's not your boss who is a, a jerk to you sometimes, it's not your crazy uncle, it's you. And so what should I do once I recognize that the primary source of my conflict lies within me? James begins to break it down for us in verse 6. Look down at verse 6 in James 4. James says, but he gives more grace, therefore it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he continues this line of thought in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So immediately we see this connection between overcoming relational conflict in our lives with us humbling ourselves. I want to give you four ways that we can humbly overcome relational conflict in our lives. We're gonna call these the keys to overcoming conflict in our relationships. We'll start with number one. Number one is this, expect it. It is, it is coming. Like you're, you're either in relational conflict right now or it's gonna happen like today or tomorrow or maybe on Monday morning. James is telling us, look, that in the very first church, in its purest form with the strongest of leaders, the most powerful church in history, even that church had to do the hard work of overcoming relational conflict. We live in a fallen world. We know this, and yet it is surprising to me how often we seem surprised when things happen that God told us would happen. It's shocking to me how often we as Christians are surprised, for instance, when we suffer. (laughs) Jesus told us that we would suffer. But for most of us, we read that and we say, amen, Lord, please help those suffering people in Africa and Asia. And then when we suffer, it's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Why me, God? 
Why me? Why have you abandoned me, God? I'm going to stop believing you. That will, that will show you. And God, God's like, listen, beloved child, I've, I've told you. I've, I've tried to prepare you. I'm telling you that I'm right here with you. I will walk with you through this storm. But we're shocked when what God has told us would happen actually happens to us. I've told you guys this before. I, I love newbies, new people here at New Life. I, I really do because you guys come and you say um, really heartwarming things to me after the service or you'll send me a, a nice little email and you'll say things like, man, this is the best church ever. I've never seen a church this perfect before. And that's really cute, slightly delusional, but super cute. And I agree, I think this is a special church. But listen, if you think that we are perfect, just hang out with us for a few months. We are gonna burst that bubble like nobody's business for you. Somebody is inevitably going to disappoint you. It might be me. Someone eventually is going to offend you. You are eventually going to experience conflict in your small group or in your serve team or a Bible study or in the bathroom or somewhere else. And then for a lot of you, you're gonna act surprised about it. And James is telling us, expect relational conflict. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, yep, it's gonna happen. So don't be surprised when it seeps into a friendship or it seeps into your marriage or gasp, even the church. God is telling us, hey, it's coming. If you are not in relational conflict now, hold on, you will experience it very, very soon. Just expect it. Uh, one of the things that I've come to really uh, enjoy, and I'm debated on whether or not I should mention this, but I'm gonna. Um, one of the things I've really come to enjoy is I like watching boxing and MMA, like mixed martial arts. And, um, and I've noticed that the one thing as I watch these fights um, the one thing that will get a guy knocked out quicker than anything else is the element of surprise, all right? So, so the same guy can take 100 shots to the chin and be fine as long as he sees them coming and he can brace for them and he can defend himself and he can prepare for it. But if that same left hook catches him out of nowhere and he didn't see it coming, he's going to sleep on the mat, we have to expect it. We have to be prepared for relational conflict when, not if, but only when it comes for us. And so, believer, the first key is to expect the gut punch of relational conflict so that it doesn't catch you off guard and knock you out. James is saying, it's coming. Expect it. Brace yourselves, prepare yourselves for it, okay? That's key number one, expect it. Second key to overcoming relational conflict, God's way, is to engage it. So number one, expect it, it is coming. And then number two, we are, as believers, to engage it. Now, most people run from conflict like it's the black plague. And then there are others of us who engage in it, but we do it wrongly. And so oftentimes we just make a bigger mess out of the whole deal. It's been said that when it comes to conflict, there are only two types of people in the world. You are either a skunk or a turtle. So just think about that for a minute. You're either a skunk or a turtle. 
Don't look at your spouse when I describe these. So if you're a skunk, you're the type of person that if there is relational conflict, you just stink the place up, right? I mean, you just spray your nastiness all over the place, and everybody is going to know how upset you are. Some of you are skunks. Others of you are married to skunks. And if that's you, I'm sorry, that really stinks. (laughs) You guys are awake. The first service, just right over there. Right over their heads. Others of you are not skunks, you're, you're turtles. And so if there's conflict, you retreat. So you just kind of pull into yourself. You go into your little, little shell and you close your little eyes and you just, you just pray that it all goes away because you are terrified of engaging in conflict with another human being. And normally skunks marry turtles. Sometimes you end up with two turtles or two skunks and that's great for the counseling industry, produces lots of money. But regardless of what your natural response to conflict is, God wants you to engage in conflict in a healthy way that brings him glory and makes your relationships better. So I want us to see what Jesus has to say about this in his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 5 and it'll be on the screens for you. This is what Jesus says. He said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Jesus is saying one of the defining marks of his followers, one of the defining marks of the children of God is that they will be peacemakers. Now, notice that he didn't say peacekeepers because a peacekeeper is someone who just maintains the peace that already exists. A peacemaker, on the other hand, is someone who seeks out spaces with no peace and intentionally enters into the furnace of conflict in order to bring peace to place that does not have peace. This is an active response to conflict, not a passive response to conflict. So in one real sense, Jesus is saying, hey, Christian, you don't get to run from this. Believer, you don't get to duck and dodge and avoid. If you call yourself my disciple, if you call yourself a child of God, you have been called to be an active peacemaker. So here's what I want to say to the Christians in the room this morning. This is what I want to say. Christian, you make the first move. You make the first move. You initiate reconciliation with whoever that person is. You say, well, Chris, man, you, you don't understand. That's, that's too hard, man. That, that person really hurt me in a deep way. Chris, you don't understand how they, how they wronged me and they betrayed me and they wounded me and they kicked me when I was down. Man, it was, it was all their fault, and that, that may be true, but you need to understand that the gospel frees us from bitterness and compels us to go out and to be peacemakers. So listen, I just want to say uh, this to you this morning, and I say, say this in love. Some of you need to stop making excuses. Because for some of you, it has been years It has been decades even that you've allowed a broken relationship to linger in your life out there somewhere, whether it's with a family member or a friend or whoever. And I just want to say, listen, don't, don't hide from conflict, beloved. 
Don't, don't run from it. We've been, we've been hiding and we've been running since Adam and Eve in the garden. And here's the thing. This stuff never gets better with time. See, we kind of think, it does. I'm just going to leave it alone. It's, still, it's too raw. I'm just going to kind of shelf it over here in my life. And I'll come back to it one day when I'm ready. Or there. This stuff does not age well. It gets worse with time. It does not ever get better with time. And so believer, initiate, make the first move. But here's the key. Make sure that you do it in love. Because there's a right way to engage conflict and there is a toxic way to engage conflict. Let me pause right there and just say, James is clear, we must engage conflict once it comes. But there is wisdom in avoiding conflict in the first place when possible. And by that I mean, you don't have to attend every fight that you're invited to. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes we have too much relational conflict in our lives because we're just not wise. <laughs> See, this, so here, here, here's what I mean. If I, if I come home one day, and let's just say I've had, a, I've had a really tough day at work, man. I've just spent hours grinding sermon prep, and, and I got nothing to show for it. And, um, you know, I'm dealing with, with conflict in the church body and sick people and hurting people and all this kind of stuff. And then on top of all of it, Pastor Rodney makes my cup of, cup of coffee in the morning with one cream instead of two creams. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like a really rough day at work. And I, and I come home and I walk in and I can tell that my wife, Cheryl, is on edge, right? I can just tell. I know immediately she's had a rough day. The kids have been at each other's throat. The dog pooped on the bed, right? Dinner caught on fire. And she looks at me and says, why don't you just make yourself useful? I have a choice to make in that moment. I can attend the fight that I've just been invited to. And I usually do, to my great shame. And I can go, this is what I get for all the hard work and sacrifice that I make for our family, for you, for our children. And I come home and this is what I get. And so I can take it and raise it up to DEFCON level 10 and I can escalate it or I can walk over to my sweet little wife and say, listen, I can tell you've had a really rough day. I'm sorry. Let me, let me clean up the kitchen. I'll get the kids ready for bed. You go run a bath, read a book. I'll take care of it. Kiss her on the forehead and walk away. Same situation. It is my choice either to, to blow it up and blame her because she started it, like I got my toddler or something, or I can breathe life and peace into my home and my relationship with my wife. So James is saying, yes, engage conflict, but we can also avoid it in the first place by not being selfish jerks a lot of the time. So here's the third key to overcoming conflict. Number three, we have to own it. Own your part, believer. See, even if it's 99.9% the other person's fault, which, by the way, in my experience, is rarely the case. We like to think that, and usually it's not the case. But even if that, I'll grant you that, it were the case. Listen, you own your 0.01% of the conflict. This is, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 7 on the screens. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I love this. This is an incredible truth wrapped in some funny sarcasm. And Jesus, Jesus goes, listen, how, how is it that you guys can see the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye and you don't see the telephone pole hanging out of your face? First get the tree trunk out of your eyeball and then and only then you might be able to see clearly enough to help your brother out with that tiny speck of sawdust in his eye. It's this idea that we need to do a heart check before we engage in relational conflict. We need to own our part of the deal. Believer, own your junk and confess your part of the conflict. There's this fantastic uh, little book by Ken Sandy called Resolving Everyday Conflict. It's uh, very short, uh, super easy read, probably the best treatment on relational conflict I've come across. I looked it up on Amazon. I think it's seven bucks, and so would encourage all of you to go grab a copy of that. If you don't like it, you can blame uh, Rodney. He introduced it to me, and he will refund you uh, your money. <laughs> but in this book, you won't because you'll like it. In this book, Sandy lays out what he calls the, the seven A's of confession. So kind of these principles for how to own our part of the conflict and to restore broken relationships. And I wanna run through these because I think that they're really good. So the seven A's of confession, how to own it. The first one is this, address everybody, everyone involved. Now this is huge. Now by addressing everyone involved, we also mean to address no one who is not involved. <laughs> Right? You understand what I'm saying? We gotta address everybody that's been affected by the conflict, but we are also not to address anybody that has not been affected by the conflict. See, when we take our conflict with someone and we start talking to others about it, this is what God calls gossip, and it is sin. But pastor, I just, I had to share with somebody, and, and they're my best friend, or, or pastor, I just, I really wanted to Pray with someone about this conflict with this other person. Listen, stop making excuses. Stop spiritualizing your sin of gossip and slander. It is sin. Repent from it and stop it. And so while we shouldn't bring anyone into the conflict that is not already directly involved, we must address everyone who's been affected by it. Now, this plays out in our home uh, with Cheryl and I very often. If I say something that is hurtful to Cheryl in front of our kids, I apologize to my wife in front of my kids intentionally, and she does the same thing with me. Listen, they need to see the resolution of the conflict. If I yell at Pastor Mike in a staff meeting because he still has not made me a lead vocalist on our worship team, <laughs> guess who needs to hear my apology to him? I don't get to slink away and just pop in Mike's office one day and say, hey, bro, man, I said that and I hurt your feeling. I'm sorry, I was just a jerk. No, listen, I need to apologize to Mike in front of the entire staff. Everyone who saw me act like a jerk needs to hear me apologize to him. And by, just for the record, I've never yelled at Mike 
right? He's a lovely man. He's a wonderful worship pastor. But we are, we are to address everyone that's involved and everyone who's aware of the conflict. All right, step number two. Avoid using the terms if, but, and maybe. If you wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, but you started it, right? I apologize, but maybe next time you could try not being a raging lunatic, right? Stop making excuses. Never lead an apology with an accusation or an excuse. That is a coward's game. Don't even bring their part up. Just admit your brokenness, admit your selfishness, and admit your sin. And, and, and here's the thing. We, we need to be okay if they don't own their part of it. Because if we're being honest, a lot of times we apologize in order to get an apology from somebody else, don't we? Hey, listen, brother, I'm, I'm sorry for my part. Do you have anything that you'd like to say to me now? The remaining time, you know, you know, it, you know it's true. We do this, don't we? And it's not right. I remember uh, one time in my in my twenties, a friend and I were uh, we were kind of bantering back and forth, and uh, we both just kind of took it a little bit too far. Got a little got a little rude with one another, and I felt convicted about it. And so I, I said to the guy, "Hey, man, I kind of feel like I crossed a line." And um, I got a little bit rude, and, and I just I want to say I'm sorry. And, uh, and this joker, I, I, I kid you not, he was like, yeah, I was wondering when you were going to apologize, right? <laughs> like this, this, this cat had been every bit as rude to me as I had been to him. And in that moment, I'm just being honest with you, I wanted to take back my apology and just lace into him and say, hey, you know what, brother? On second thought, I meant everything that I said. And here's another thing, you're ugly. And your breast stinks, and that's why you can't find a girlfriend, right? I'm a sinner, y'all. Y'all pray, pray for your pastor. We, we have to enter into the space of reconciliation, listen to me, with no agenda but to do what is right. Their response is totally on them. Our responsibility, no accusations, no excuses. Number three, admit specifically. So don't, don't do the cop-out thing where you apologize in generalities. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've all been guilty of it. I'm sorry, honey, for what? How you know for the stuff, like the stuff that I said yesterday? I mean, this is between me and God. Like, just let me apologize, right? Or maybe, maybe you've done this one. Oh, hey, I'm sorry for uh, whatever I said that hurt your feelings, you see what you just did there, right? You, you turned it around on them, and you're really saying, hey, you're too sensitive. Okay? It's not on me. It's on you for being a snowflake. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't realize your feelings were so delicate. Okay? Don't do that. Be specific. I am, I'm sorry for disrespecting and dishonoring you in front of our kids. I am sorry, I am so sorry that I, that I talked about you behind your back and I, and I hurt your feelings and I crushed the trust that we had built together. I'm sorry for being short with you at the breakfast table the other day. I'm sorry that I lied to you about whatever it is. Be specific. Do not punk out by being general. Admit specifically. Number four, acknowledge the hurt. 
We've got to have the courage to be able to look across the table and look into somebody's eyeballs and say, man, that it must have really embarrassed you, man, when I said that in front of everyone. You must have really felt betrayed when I talked to our mutual friends behind your back. Step into their shoes, feel their pain and express it. Acknowledge just the, the gaping wound that you slashed open with your careless words or your hurtful actions. And this, here, here's, the, here's the thing. That will go a long way to beginning to heal a broken relationship. Now, I, I stink at this one personally. I'm working on it. But we, we must acknowledge the hurt that we've caused. Number five, accept the consequences. Now, this is one that we don't think about a lot, but I don't know if you figured this out or not, but when we sin, there are consequences that follow. Right? The relationship may not return to what it was before because of the trust that's been broken or the wounds that have been caused. So listen, if you got mad at a coworker and you grabbed their iPhone and smashed it into the ground, you need to go buy them a new iPhone. And then you need to go get some anger management counseling, but buy, buy them a new iPhone before you do that. Well, man, I don't have, I don't have any money. I don't care. Sell, sell your phone. Sell your watch. Go buy them a new phone. There are real consequences, and we need to own them. Maybe that we need to sit across the table from someone and have a gut-level conversation and just say, hey, listen, I realize that I broke your trust. And I realize that the consequence, at least for now, is that you don't trust me, and I get it. You have a good reason not to trust me. But I would, I would love it if you would just give me a chance to begin to rebuild that trust level with you slowly. Accept, accept the consequences. Don't get angry. Don't, don't say, man, well, I... Why can't things just go back to the way they were before? You're not really, forgi you're not really forgiving me. Don't, don't do that. Be a big boy. Be a big girl. Eat your spinach. Accept the consequences with grace. This will go a long way to showing the other person that your confession is actually genuine. Number six, alter your behavior. See, a lot of us will stop at the apology, right? It's not enough. Commit to changing harmful habits in your life. Find somebody to hold you accountable. If you have anger issues, get your tail into a good Christian counselor. If you don't know where to turn, come to us. We'll point you in the right direction. If you struggle with gossip, man, get a trusted friend to call you every week and just say, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing in this area? If you struggle, struggle with temper-related actions, if you, uh, if you tend to punch holes through walls or something like that, man, come to our next elders meeting. We will saw your arm off and fix that problem for you so you can stop being a moron. Take real steps to alter your behavior. And then here, here's the other key. Take those steps and then share them with the other person that you hurt. All right, so you, you just say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I hope that you'll forgive me. And I want you to know these are the three things that I'm implementing into my life as disciplines into my life so that I don't hurt you in this way anymore. And that'll go a long way to reconciling your broken relationships. Number seven is this, ask for forgiveness. It's not just enough to simply say, I'm sorry and be done. Ask them 
if they will give you forgiveness. And, and just be, be prepared that they may say no. They may say, no, I, I'm too hurt right now, man. I, I can't believe you did that. And I, I'm just not in a place where I can, I can give that to you right now. And, and if they say no, let me just encourage you, Christian, respond in grace. So brother, sister, I get it, man. My, my actions, my words hurt you. And so I, I just want you to know that I, I'm praying that in time you can forgive me. And if there, listen, if there is anything else that I can do to repair our relationship, will you, will you please let me know what it is that I can do? So don't just say you're sorry. Ask for somebody else's forgiveness. That's a key component. And that leads right into our last key to overcoming relational conflict. And that's number four, forgive like crazy. I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says to the believers in a city called Colossae. This is Colossians 3. This is what Paul says to these Christians. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint or a conflict against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, this is big. Paul is saying, hey, Christian, you need, you need to bear with one another and you need to forgive each other like crazy. Forgive over and over again. You want to know why? Because Christians should be the most forgiving, forgiving people in the world because Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. You know, it's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it's going to kill the other person. It just eats you up inside. We had a beautiful moment uh, recently to walk with one of our kids through this. Someone hurt them, someone uh, accused them of something uh, falsely, and we just got to walk them through this process, and it was beautiful of forgiveness. And one of the things I said to them is forgiveness is not saying that what they did was okay. That is not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is releasing that other person into the hands of God and freeing your heart from the chains of bitterness and hurt. It was just really cool to watch one of my children walk through that and find freedom in forgiveness. Friend, Jesus wants you to be free. And forgiveness in our relationships is the only path to freedom. We've been forgiven much so we must also give away forgiveness. We must forgive much. I want to begin to wrap up our time with Proverbs 28, 13. And this is, this is what that proverb says. It says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, here's, here's the good news. There there is hope for our relational conflict. There is hope for our broken relationships because Jesus has resolved our greatest conflict, the conflict between God and us. He has made peace between us and our creator by his blood on the cross and the empty tomb. And so now because we have peace vertically, it's now possible for us to have peace horizontally with other people. Overcoming relational conflict is easier than you think because Jesus has already done the hard work of reconciliation and setting us free to be peacemakers and relentless forgivers. 
So if you're not in the middle of some relational conflict right now, let me just encourage you, it's coming. It's coming for you, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning, maybe next week, I don't know when, but it's coming soon. But here's the good news. Though it's inevitable, it does not have to steal your joy. And it does not even have to bust up your relationships. God can actually use it for good if we will navigate it his way using his principles. As we close this morning, let me just invite you to bow your heads with me as we consider a couple of things and the band comes up. We're actually gonna get ready to come up to the, the tables to celebrate what Christ has done for us in just a moment. But, but here's what I want us to do to prepare our hearts as we get ready to come to the tables. Here's my challenge for you. I would challenge you just to pray right where you are and ask God to do this. Ask God to begin to reveal any broken relationships that may exist in your life. To say, God, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not certain which relationships are, 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 are broken, but I, I wanna know. I, I wanna make them right. I wanna be a peacemaker. This is important to me. And so let me, let me just say to you, church, like I, I'm, I don't care if this is something that happened last week or this is something that happened like 25 years ago. Ask God to bring that person to your mind, anyone who you've sinned against or maybe they've sinned against you. Now listen, some of you, you don't have to think very long or even pray very long. You already know. You have the picture of that person in your head. It could be a son, it could be a daughter, it could be a parent, it could be an uncle, it could be a friend from college or who knows what. Some of you already know. Others of you need to sit for a moment you need to just quiet your mind and quiet your heart and you just need to ask God to illuminate your heart, illuminate your mind and let you know if there's a relationship in your life that needs to be reconciled. And here's the deal. Almost every single person in this room will have at least one relationship that needs to be reconciled if we're being honest with ourselves. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Don't, don't come to these tables until you make a commitment that you're going to engage that person and you're going to own your part and you're going to forgive like crazy this week. Uh, Jesus has given us vertical peace with the Father and he demands that we become peacemakers in our horizontal relationships. So I just, I just wanna say, if, if you have conflict with somebody specifically in the room with you this morning, we're, we're gonna stand up in a minute and the room's gonna get busy and kind of chaotic for just a few minutes as people come to the tables. Let me just encourage you, take that moment and find that other person. Just go to them and grab their hand or grab their neck and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I know there's something that's broken between us and I know that that doesn't honor God. And that doesn't honor you. And we may need more time to hash this out. So let's, let's grab coffee later this week. But you begin to initiate that personal reconciliation in this room this morning if that person is here. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us to do the hard work of getting off the relational crazy train. God, thank you for reconciling us to you that we now have 
vertical peace because of Jesus, God. Help us to do that with others. Help us to be peacemakers in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, God. Ultimately, so that others could see your love and your forgiveness and your goodness and your grace in us so that they would be drawn to the beauty of Jesus. We ask all of this in his beautiful name. Jesus, amen.